Welcome to Perfectly Imperfect, a podcast on mental health for folks of color. I'm your host, John Zell Anderson, licensed professional counselor. I'm the owner of Panoramic Counseling, where I specialize in treating teens and young adults in Richmond, Virginia, and throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia through online counseling. Let's get into the show. This episode is part of a summer book club that I'm hosting on this podcast. In efforts to read and write more on topics related to race and injustice, I decided to log out of my Instagram account for the summer, and I'm instead focusing my time and energy here. Thanks for joining me on this journey. Hi, everyone. For the next book in the Summer Book Club series, I am going to be reviewing the book called Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, An Indian History of the American West by Dee Brown. Before I get started, this book uses the term Indian fairly consistently, but I tend to use the term Native American. You might hear me alternate between the terms, so I just kind of wanted to give that context. So I'm going to start off with a quote to kind of introduce you to the book. Quote, this is not a cheerful book. But history has a way of intruding upon the present, and perhaps those who read it will have a clearer understanding of what the American Indian is by knowing what he was. They may be surprised to hear words of gentle reasonableness coming from the mouths of Indians stereotyped in the American myth as ruthless savages. They may learn something about their own relationship to the earth from a people who were true conservationists. The Indians knew that life was equated with the earth and its resources, that America was a paradise, and they could not comprehend why the intruders from the east were determined to destroy all that was Indian, as well as American itself, end quote. So I start off with that quote because while the author is very clear that it isn't a cheerful book. There's a lot of context that can be gotten from this. For those who haven't heard, I did a five-part series on post-traumatic slave syndrome uh, by Dr. Joy DeGry, and I'm not going to make this about me, but I give some background on how this book impacted me personally. So given that I have been on a journey to gain awareness of primarily African-American culture, history, injustice, racism, things of that nature. If you've listened to previous episodes of this podcast, you kind of know the, the themes of the books that I've been choosing. As I read Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, I felt a range of emotions, most of them difficult emotions. On a very surface level, I can look at the experiences of the Native Americans in their treatment in comparison to all of the research and studying that I've done on African American slaves. And I can look at it and say the Native Americans, again, on the surface level, were treated much more brutally than African Americans. And it's not a comparison of trauma thing, but the destruction that was done to several tribes of people was truly heartbreaking. And so I'm saying all of this because, you know, I mentioned the post-traumatic slave syndrome. And in that book, Dr. DeGray talks about how 
someone descendant of Africans can be predisposed to the trauma that has been passed down from generation to generation. And it's also triggered by current events. And that's a field on epigenetics. Be sure to check out that series on that book if you want to learn more. But I think because I'm kind of doing this virtual book club this summer, my awareness is increasing, but also my sensitivity to injustice and vicarious trauma. I'll put a link in the show notes, a short podcast episode I did on what vicarious trauma is. Uh, But in a nutshell, vicarious trauma is being traumatized by witnessing or hearing about somebody else's trauma. So hopefully all that made sense because this particular book was very difficult for me to read, not because it was poorly written or anything like that, but it was difficult for me to read because it triggered a lot of my own experiences and perspectives that I've had throughout my life. And I'm also only going to be doing one episode on this book to kind of guard myself from having to dig too deep. Again, I've already read the whole book, but I don't want to dig so deep into this that it has a emotional or physical impact on me more than it already has. So hopefully the listeners understand where I'm coming from on that. Also, before I jump in, this book covers a multitude of time from English settlement in the Americas to the Battle of Wounded Knee. And I think that this fits very well with the themes of the books that I've been choosing so far for this book club. And as a Black person, it was valuable to take myself out of the comfort zone that I'd been in on learning about my own history and putting myself and immersing myself into the plight of a different population. So to jump in, there was a lot of forced assimilation on Native Americans from the jump. So we're starting with Christopher Columbus. Here's a quote. So tractable and peaceable are these people, Columbus wrote to the king and queen of Spain. I swear to you, your majesties, there is not in this world a better nation They love their neighbors as themselves, and their discourse is ever sweet and gentle, and accompanied with a smile. And though it is true they are naked, their manners are decorous and praiseworthy. All this, of course, was taken as a sign of weakness, if not heathenism, and Columbus, being a righteous European, was convinced the people should be made to work and do all that is necessary and to adopt our ways. Over the next four centuries, 1492 to 1890, several million Europeans and their descendants undertook to enforce their ways upon the people of the new world, end quote. So anyone who's gone through public education in the United States knows the gist of what has happened to Native Americans in our country. Here's a quote. In Massachusetts, the story began somewhat differently, but ended virtually the same as in Virginia. After the Englishmen landed at Plymouth in 1620, most of them probably would have starved to death, but for aid received from friendly natives of the New World. The author goes on to say, quote, For several years, these Englishmen and their Indian neighbors lived in peace, but many more shiploads of white people continued coming ashore. 
The ring of axis and the crash of falling trees echoed up and down the coast of the land, which the white men now called New England. Settlements began crowding in upon each other. In 1625, some of the colonists asked Samoset to give them 12,000 additional acres of Pemaquid land. Samoset knew that the land came from the Great Spirit, which was as endless as the sky and belonged to no man. To humor these strangers in their strange ways, however, he went through a ceremony of transferring the land and made his mark on a paper for them. It was the first deed of Indian land to English colonists. Most of the other settlers, coming in by thousands now, did not bother to go through such a ceremony. For two more centuries, these events were repeated again and again as European colonists moved inland through the passes of the Alleghenies and down the westward flowing rivers to the great waters, the Mississippi, and then up the great muddy, the Missouri. The five nations of the Iroquois, mightiest and most advanced of all the eastern tribes, strove in vain for peace. After years of bloodshed to save their political independence, they finally went down to defeat. Some escaped to Canada, some fled westward, and some lived out their lives in reservation confinement, end quote. And the rest of this book is pretty much along those lines. Taking for granted hospitality, greed, wanting more, and domination and belief in white supremacy. So it's deeply ingrained in our nation. And so I believe Andrew Jackson is probably one of the most hated figures in history, um, especially by Native Americans. And here's a good snippet as to why. So, quote, In 1829, Andrew Jackson, who was called Sharp Knife by the Indians, took office as President of the United States. During his frontier career, Sharp Knife and his soldiers had slain thousands of Cherokees, Chickasaws, Choctaws, Creeks, and Seminoles. But these southern Indians were still numerous, clung stubbornly to their lands, which had been assigned to them forever by white men's treaties. And Sharp Knife's first message to his Congress, he recommended that all these Indians be removed westward beyond the Mississippi. I suggest the propriety of setting apart an ample district west of the Mississippi to be guaranteed to the Indian tribes as long as they shall occupy it. Although enactment of such a law would only add to the long list of broken promises made to the Eastern Indians, Sharp Knife was convinced that Indians and whites could not live together in peace and that his plan would make possible a final promise which would never be broken again. On May 28, 1830, Sharp Knife's recommendations became law. So as I mentioned before, the themes that I've taken away from the numerous examples and tribes and broken promises and things like that, uh, that I've read throughout this book, the themes are domination, treaties that were signed, but often not well understood by the Native Americans or written deceptively. But also these were often signed by some, but not with full representation of the tribes that they were making these treaties with. Lots of broken promises, slaughter, unfair trades, manipulation, sabotage, 
the list goes on. And so I want to take an aside here and comment on the environment. Awareness of global warming has become especially important to me since I've become a parent, and it truly scares the hell out of me, the rate that things are going downhill. And I think being a parent makes it a bigger deal to me because my daughter is going to have to inherit this planet that we continue to destroy. So we hear a lot in the news about the wildfires in the West, uh, California especially. And I've also learned that Native Americans who have inhabited these regions for a long time had routine practices of burning certain parts of forests and things like that to manage the ecosystem, but also to prevent the forest fires and things that we experience every single year. And there's lots of evidence to support that. While Native Americans have tried to offer advice, they've tried to assist agencies in getting this problem under control, their expertise and experience passed down from generations is often ignored because, again, supremacy and the belief that somehow we know what's best. And we're we're definitely seeing the consequences of it today. I'm not saying all of it has to do to this, but there's a lot of evidence to support that since settlement, there's been huge, huge destruction to the environment. And we're definitely paying for it today. So here's a quote. The crows were friendly, but one of them, Beartooth, made a surprising speech in which he condemned all white men for their reckless destruction of wildlife and the natural environment. Fathers, hear me well. Call back your young men from the mountains of the bighorn sheep. They have run over our country. They have destroyed the growing wood and the green grass. They have set fire to our lands. Fathers, your young men have devastated the country and killed my animals, the elk, the deer, the antelope, my buffalo. They do not kill them to eat them. They leave them to rot where they fall. Fathers, if I went into your country to kill your animals, what would you say? Should I not be wrong? And would you not make war on me? End quote. And so here's a specific example about how this destruction of the environment played out. So, quote, in that time, the friendly Tainos who welcomed Columbus ashore had been utterly obliterated. Long before the last of the Tainos died, their simple agricultural and handicraft culture was destroyed and replaced by cotton plantations, worked by slaves. The white colonists chopped down the tropical forest to enlarge their fields. The cotton plants exhausted the soil. Winds, unbroken by a forest shield, covered the fields with sand. When Columbus first saw the island, he described it as a very big and very level and the trees very green. The whole of it was so green that it is a pleasure to gaze upon. The Europeans who followed him there destroyed vegetation and its inhabitants, human, animal, bird, and fish. After turning it into a wasteland, they abandoned it. So the next section, it kind of goes into the extent of the destruction and the human rights violations. Most of us have heard of the term manifest destiny, this particular part of the book and its principles 
extremely angered me. Quote, to justify these breaches of the permanent Indian frontier, the policymakers in Washington invented manifest destiny, a term which lifted land hunger to a lofty plane. The Europeans and their descendants were ordained by destiny to rule all of America. They were the dominant race and therefore responsible for the Indians, along with their lands, their forests, and their mineral wealth. And so to support this created concept of manifest destiny, which for lack of a better term is just white supremacy, we have the 1868 passing of the 14th Amendment, which gave equal rights to all except Indians, was added to the United States Constitution. So it was very particular that Indians were not included in equal rights of humanity. Between the impact of slavery on our country and the treatment of the Native Americans, we can see how ingrained this concept of white supremacy is woven into the nation that we live in today. And so just to kind of give you an idea of population destruction, in 1860, there were probably 300,000 Indians in the United States and territories, most of them living west of the Mississippi. According to varying estimates, their numbers had been reduced by one half to two thirds since the arrival of the first settlers in Virginia and New England. Quote, exterminate or banish was the cry of the land hungry settlers. And as I mentioned before, there was treaty after treaty signed to basically say we, that you can live here, but as soon as gold was discovered or as soon as other wealth or as soon as it got too crowded, those treaties went out the window and they fell back on manifest destiny slash white supremacy to justify the broken promises and treatment of the Native Americans. So rather than give you a ton of examples of the horrific things that I read in this book, I am going to give you a quick bulleted list of themes of things that happen. So I put at the top of this list carnage. Children were shot and bayoneted. Prizes and money were given for captured Indian livestock and scalps of Native Americans. Settlers often would cut off food sources or moved the Native Americans to unfarmable areas where there was not suitable water sources or the ability to maintain agriculture thus causing famine and dependence on the settlers for food rations. And when they did get food rations, oftentimes they were rotten or low quality or small portions to where it didn't really do much. So there was a lot of starvation throughout history. Native Americans have repeatedly been disarmed and gunned down, not to mention the massacres that includes shooting, stabbing, all sorts of atrocities. Something in particular that jumped out was a, a trend of cutting out unborn fetuses from murdered in, uh, Native American women. And there was also a theme of cutting off the privates of Native Americans and wearing them as badges or trophies. <sighs> and so I'm going to conclude with a quote by a Native American called Black Elk that is given towards the end of the book to kind of summarize how from 
initial contact with the Americas to where basically the last stand was at Wounded Knee. So, quote, after the wounded cavalrymen started for the agency at Pine Ridge, a detail of soldiers went over the Wounded Knee battlefield, gathering up Indians who were still alive and loading them into wagons. As it was apparent by the end of the day that a blizzard was approaching, the dead Indians were left lying there where they had fallen. After the blizzard, when a burial party returned to Wounded Knee, they found the body frozen into grotesque shapes. The wagon loads of wounded Sioux, four men and 47 women and children, reached Pine Ridge after dark. Because all available barracks were filled with soldiers, they were left lying in the open wagons in the bitter cold while an inept army officer searched for shelter. Finally, the Episcopal mission was open, the benches taken out, and hay scattered over the rough flooring. It was the fourth day after Christmas in the year of our Lord, 1890, when the first torn and bleeding bodies were carried into the candlelit church. Those who were conscious could see Christmas greenery hanging from the open rafters. Across the chapel, above the pulpit, was strung a crudely lettered banner, Peace on Earth, Goodwill to Men. I did not know then how much was ended. When I look back now from this high hill of my old age, I can see the butchered women and children lying heaped and scattered all along the crooked gulch as a plain, as when I saw them with eyes still young. And I can see that something else died there in the bloody mud and was buried in the blizzard. A people's dream died there. It was a beautiful dream. The nation's hoop is broken and scattered. There is no center any longer and the sacred tree is dead, end quote. So I'm gonna leave this review on that, that quote. I acknowledge that my summary of this book barely does it justice or scratches the surface, but I highly recommend checking out this book. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast, and best of all, it's free. They offer creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor also distributes your podcast, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and many more. Did I mention that you can make money from your podcast no matter the size of your following? Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support this podcast by buying me a coffee. The link is in this episode's show notes. Thanks in advance.